Hello and welcome to this episode of In Good Company with Dan Jones brought to you by Impact. This is the first episode in a new series and in this series we're going to focus on quality conversations with inspiring people from around the business world. Today's conversation is with Impact Joe Appleby and Cynthia Adebayi-Yakini from UN Global Compact UK. Cynthia takes us on the remarkable journey of her education, her career, her aspirations and her goals, and the challenges she has faced along the way. Let's join them now and take a listen. I feel uh, really excited about the chance to um, hear more about you, Cynthia, and your story, and about our friendship, which I think we've uh, kind of developed over the last 18 months that we've been working together. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to kind of share that with, with other people. But um, firstly, last time I saw you, it was in person in August. You're one of the few people that I have actually seen um, over the past few months. And you came up here and we went for a walk around Bridal Water. And I know for you, it was really important for you to get away from London because like many of us, uh, during kind of lockdown and over the last six, seven months, it's been quite a journey. So, yeah, how was that for you? How's how how's your your last six months been? It's definitely been highs and lows, and one of my highest highs was actually coming to the Lake District. Um, I think I've come to a point now where I've realised that I'm really, really, really struggling with the fear of the unknown and fear of uncertainty. Only now though, I've it's, it's come up to like, so much has happened, this last six months has happened, so many things have happened. And I'm at a place where I feel like I'm almost at a standstill in my life. And I feel like um, my whole life, I've genuinely known what the next step is going to be, what's gonna happen when it comes to career, when it comes to education, when it comes to, even if I'm going on holiday. And I'm I'm at a point where, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what's happening next week or next month mm. or next year, actually. And that is stressing mm. me out. <laughs> um, and so when I say Lake District was a real high, it was because I was coming off the back of having been in my room, literally in, on, in these four walls for an extended period of time. When usually I'm the type of person where people will be like, Cynthia, you're not, you're never in a country. You're always traveling, you're always somewhere, you're always doing this, or you're always busy. And, but I was, I was forced to be grounded, which was necessary and needed for me. However, it, it was just, I don't know, it, drove me mad <laughs> for, for lack of a um, better way to explain it. Um, and so being able to actually get out into um, to, to Lake District. And for me, I've never been to Lake District before, so it was amazing. <laughs> I was really blown away by the views, the scenery, the air. Uh, it felt like I was free. It, it felt really weird, but, um, but it's like, it's like it, was a, it was a distant memory. I became unwell and... And then I've just really been in the house, not leaving the house. And then, yeah, that's why I've landed at, okay, I have a fear of the unknown. And that's putting me at a standstill, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And as you say, you've just been ill because you've, you've just had COVID. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's a huge strain. And, and it's lovely to see mm. you bounce back and UN Global Compact where you work. How long have you been there now? 
I'm going to say it's going to be three years in March. And how did you come across working at UN Global Compact? Ah, I told you. <laughs> so I was doing my master's at King's in Emerging Economies and Inclusive Development with Chinese. And I, as a part-time, because I was, I was paying for it, so part-time I was working at Apple. And so I worked at the, or, you know, I was a technical expert. So I worked on the Genius Bar where people would come and I'd try and help them fix their laptops or their... Um, iPhones and Steve Kenzie, who is the executive director of the UN Global Combat Network UK, came and was trying to fix his phone. And so we were having a, you know, a conversation. And I say this to everyone, like I've, I've always been so action orientated. I've always known what I wanted to do. I've always been so driven. The moment I heard he worked in the UN, I was like, the UN, I wanted to work for them one time because I'm so passionate about changing the world. That's what I said. Um, I'm so passionate about making a difference. Like I, I want to do this and I want to do that and da 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 and um he gave me his card and I was like okay cool thank you for this I will call you one day um and then I think that was at the beginning of when I worked at Apple because I did two years Mm -hmm. at at King's and then I lost the card (laughs) did not that, that was gone that card was gone for two years then I happened to find it upon finishing my dissertation I was convinced that I wanted to start a social enterprise and I wanted to get some advice. I wanted to understand what is it that I needed to do. I wanted to get as much help as possible. Um, and so I reached out to him as well as some other people. I reached out to someone who worked in Ashoka. I reached out to, um, I think someone, and someone who worked in Difford. I was just trying to get as, just fill myself up with as much knowledge and understanding of different areas of different sectors around international development. Um, and so Steve agreed to meet up with me just by his office. I don't know, I was just me and I was just telling him about my woes, what I the things that I had been struggling with, but the things that I'm really passionate about and the things that I want to do. And there were a few ideas that I was floating about in terms of what I wanted to do a social enterprise within. And yeah, he just gave me some advice, really. And then by the end of it, he was like, well, you know, this is not like... Um, I know this is what you want to get into, but we're really looking for someone to help us within our global goals pro- um, program. Um, and it could just be a really good stepping stone. Uh, and he asked me if that was something I'd be interested in. I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, do I have to, inter- how do I interview for this? Like, he was like, well, basically I've seen this as an interview and you're really great. So if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're interested, um, if you're interested that, you know, please, like, we'd love to have you. Um, and so I started working for the UN Global Compact, alongside working at Apple, alongside finishing my master's. Um, so that was a lot for me. That was, I really, really, really struggled those months. It was not very long, but I struggled. And I won't lie to you, when I left, I was just so shocked. Like when I had left the office and I was on my way back home, I was shocked. I was like, wow, that really just happened. I just, I just got that job and I wasn't even going for it. And now that time has passed, and I've seen, you know, different people get hired. I've been part of the hiring process, which has become, which is a lot more vigorous. I will have to, I'll definitely say, mm. I'm like, there is absolutely no way I would have gotten that job if I applied normally. I don't think so. I really, really don't. I don't. Why, why do you say that? I'm curious. Um, there are so many different barriers and obstacles stacked against black people. And I, for one, really feel like I've experienced that. I think that. I've always felt very secure in the fact that I know how to present myself, not just well, but 
authentically. And there's something mm-hmm. about me, um, without sounding big headed, that people just kind of like. And and I I know I lo- I love to communicate with people. I love to have conversation with people, and I'm able to do that properly once I'm sitting in a chair and I'm, I'm actually in front of someone. Mm. I really think there's a culture difference between white people and black people sometimes when it comes to how you present yourself. There's, I've, I've read some CVs and I'm like, wow, you've really turned some basic job into something that you're, that is like amazing. And I genuinely don't do that. I feel like I'm, I try to be as real as possible, but that's not the game that you're supposed to be playing. You're supposed to really big yourself up and I don't know how to do that very well just the way obviously being on the inside and the way we've done the process you know we've seen that we haven't seen many black people who've come from doing the online application and the online test to actually sitting down and having an interview we we I think in the entire time we've hired people over the past 18 months that I've been there we see we Mm. we saw one black person come and interview I'm convinced about it and no one can tell me differently that I just don't think I would have gotten a job working at the UN Global Compact unless something literally miraculous happened as it did. Wow. And we're going to talk a little bit more because I'm really, I'd like to hear your whole story around the Black Lives Matter, which is what you've just touched upon. I just want to go back a little bit to your education. What did you study? Was it Chinese? Yeah. So in my undergrad, I studied international relations with Chinese. Then I studied Chinese language again for a year in China. And then I came back and did a postgrad in emerging economies of inclusive development and Chinese. And funded yourself. Yeah. How did you kind of get the motivation to do that? What, what motivated you to kind of, because you've done, you've already studied well and done well, but you stepped into another kind of zone and said, okay, I'm going to have to finance this myself. What? I think, I think it's the, the, fact that I is literally ever since I was like 12 13 years old I've known I've literally I literally said these words I want to change the world and from then I knew every step I wanted to take I just knew it I knew I wanted to do international baccalaureate so that meant I had to go to a specific school because at that time not every school did IB so then I made sure I got into that school and then at the time I wanted to study in America so I tried to do my SATs I tried to do all this stuff but then I realized it was mad expensive and there was no way my mum was paying for me. So <laughs> she thought if she had money to even do that. So I thought, okay. then I did a research and I realised that undergrad in the UK is 10 times better than undergrad in the US. I actually didn't do very well in my IB, in my international baccalaureate. I did very bad, actually. Very, very bad. It wasn't in the plans. I was supposed to do excellently. But those two years of my life, those two years of my life was really hard. Um, I think... They were very hard years. And so I just didn't, I wasn't, I didn't do well in school. And so I ended up in clearing. Right. And so I I had to like, I was, I remember being on the phone and calling every university, every single one that had places for I, for IR, international relations. And everyone said no, absolutely. Everyone said no to me. And I was just like, okay. And because I've known what I wanted to do, like IR was the only thing. And so the school that I went to for undergrad, um, when I called them up, they're like, okay, we can accept you into the international relations course only if you do it with Chinese. Right. My fate was sealed. I was like, okay, that's fine. He was like, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can drop Chinese after the first year. Like it's not by force. But I think at that time they were trying to get loads of people to start studying the language. And that's the way he got me on because IR was what I went for. But Chinese was the reason why I actually stayed. I know it changed my life. I think 
I was the type of person who wanted to be in university in and out. It turned out that I ended up being there for longer than three years because I studied abroad in the US and then I studied abroad in China. And then after I graduated, I went back to China to study Chinese again. Chinese ended up really dictating my life. And when I was in China, it, it only made sense that I was coming back to the UK to do a master's. So my motivation is the fact that I've always known. My motivation is the fact that I've always had an ambition. And so naturally I go upon that, I, I, I'll follow upon that path. I have this, I'm dyslexic and the first week was too much for me. I struggle and it takes me longer to get through things. And so as much as I didn't want to, and I realized financially it made more sense and I could afford to just pay if I did it part-time and, mm. um, take my time to actually do the courses and um, not do so many modules in a year. Um, so, yeah. And I love the fact that you were willing to take, it's not like French or something, it's like, okay, Chinese, <laughs> I'll do it, off I go. And the fact that, like, even though you've been so determined and really clear about what you want to do, you've also picked up something a bit random and it's taken you on this incredible journey. Mm. Um, what was it like living in in China whereabouts were you I was in Beijing and I loved it I've literally just been dreaming of Asia recently because I'm stuck in my room and I just want to go back there and like live there but um I loved it and not everyone loves it I tell you that right now not everyone can hack it because you really struggled there with your mental health everyone did I didn't know that at the time but I definitely mm. struggled their mental health really has only become a thing for me in this past year, actually, really understanding that, oh, wait, I struggle with mental health too, is something that everyone does. Um, but at that time, you know, when I was high, in terms of enjoying the time, my time there, it was good. When I was low, it is, it, it was what it was. But, yeah, it's a, but absolutely, yeah. for the most part, I loved it. I loved the food. I loved the people sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're constantly having people like, look at you stare at me i'm people people stared at me because i was black and touch my hair without asking or take pictures of me all of the time I, t I promise you i am on about a million chinese people's phones but i just embraced it to be honest did you <laughs> i was just like oh yeah sure and then i'd smile and then i keep it moving um and if someone touched my hair i touched their hair right back i really didn't care because <laughs> if you're gonna touch me and invade my space then you're obviously inviting me to invade yours so let's let's and what sort of reaction did you get when you did that it was like almost like oh we're friends now it was weird <laughs> it was like well we're touching each other's hair that you know then they'll be like carry my baby and really random stuff but um i loved it i really did and i really took to the language um i took to the culture i really loved my life then i felt like i was the most mindful i've ever been I was the most present. This was before mindfulness was even a thing. And that's what I miss dearly. There's a couple of things that you mentioned. Talked about mental health. Like going, I didn't even realise that mental health was a thing. Now you can kind of look back and go, oh, right. And also your mindfulness. And you've had a really hectic year this year. Yeah. How, what do you do? What, what tools or what things have you tried to implement in your life to try and create space from this huge amount of distractions we get? constantly yeah what's been working for you i i'm obsessed with journaling now like uh journaling was never a thing for me i remember people used to do it when i was younger younger they, they'd write in like diaries or they'd journal or i'd hear or even when i lived in the u.s it's a real it's a real culture over there actually and people um would always say that they were journaling and i tried it it just didn't it didn't flow for me at that time 
But then it almost became a lifeline, you know, this year. I don't know, it became a release. It became um, something that helped me keep how I was feeling at bay or okay. And then it just became even more. So I started cancelling this year as well. And that, and it just, the, the, doing the two alongside each other was just a, a recipe for success, I would say. It really, mm. it was it was so helpful to me um, in every sense of the word. So journaling is what I've really, really been doing. And then I picked up a hobby. That was great. I taught myself how to play guitar. So that was um, somewhat helpful as well. I could literally just strum for like, you know, hours so yeah, so I think those are the two things that have helped me as well as counseling that has helped me this year. I like the idea of, you know, there are two things that you can do, but you don't have to move outside of your room, right? So regardless of how difficult it's been doing during lockdown, you've been able to go to your journaling or um, play your play your guitar. It's great to be able to, as you say, just keep check of things mm. on, a, on a daily basis. My daughter, Jasmine, uh, recently lost her teddy which she had since she was born, mm. and it's been a really traumatic process. So she started journaling, and wow. she writes to her teddy every day. So she tells her teddy, because he's no longer there, mm. what she's been up to and what she's been doing. So I did think of you, uh, because Jasmine's like, I think I want to start writing a diary and, and speaking to Teddy. And I was like, oh, that's good. Reminded me, yeah. So uh, And she's also just got a guitar, so maybe you can teach her yeah. in your time. Um Cynthia, it amazes me all of the things that you manage to do and pick up and master. Um, but I want to spend a little bit of time just thinking about um, Black Lives Matter mm. and about your story. You talked about learning Chinese and that this was like, if you want to do this, if you want to study, then you have to learn Chinese. And you went, OK, I'll do it. Mm. And I almost feel like you part of the UN Global Compact, you didn't want what was handed to you. Mm. as in what happened with George Floyd mm. and States. But actually, what you have managed to create as a result of that is nothing short of unbelievable. So just this this, this um, ability that you have to pick something up and to be really in touch with how it makes you feel and to do something really positive about it. So uh, can you tell us uh, that, that story um, from if that's okay because I think yeah. it's quite emotive for you in terms of how you felt and, and what you did as a result well first of all thank you for saying that um that really does mean a lot to me ah now I have to think back <laughs> to it, it wasn't even so long ago um when George Floyd died and it, it I actually missed it like for a week I, I didn't really understand the story I just knew that someone had died and it was by, you know, off the back of police brutality. But it wasn't until I stumbled across the video that just everything changed for me. It was traumatic to see and just it, it impacted me in such a great way that I was emotional for weeks, weeks and weeks. I literally would cry. I'd just sit here in my bed, just be like, just staring into space, just really perplexed. Then I started thinking about my my own life. And then I started thinking about all the different injustices that Black people face worldwide. And then I started thinking about the injustices that I have faced or that I could face simply because I'm Black. And then for some reason, everything's just seemed die up. It just seemed like 
there is no hope. <laughs> it doesn't seem as though anything's ever going to change or things are really, really hard. And I, for, you know, for a couple of weeks there, I was just like, I don't, like, I just feel so hopeless and helpless. And I hate that feeling. I help, I hate not being able to do something. I hate injustice. Like, I hate it so much across the board. Anything that is unfair, where the bad guy gets away or the victim is, you know, continue has to continue to be a victim, I completely hate. And it just connects to who I've always been in a sense that I'm action-orientated and I knew that I had to do something. And so I actually, the first thing I did as I started a forum with my, my church, like I started like a... It was called um, an open conversation. And so we had two sessions where we invited everyone from our church. And um, we had about 30 people join, which was disappointing in itself because I'm like, mm. everybody needs to be on this. Everybody needs to understand the importance of this. So whenever I see something or where not, not everyone finds it important, or I had a few friends who I had sent that invitation out to actually, and they didn't even respond. They had read my message about what I was putting on and the importance of it, and they didn't even respond. And I can't lie to you. I, I've I've genuinely, like, you know, made a decision to not be friends with those people anymore. That's what I've had to do in this season. I've had to make a decision mm -hmm. to not be friends with people who are clearly not allies. And it's, and many people think they're allies when they're not, you know. And so I've had to learn that. And so we did this open conversation uh, with my church folk and that was really great. And then obviously I put it out to the UN Global Compact um, Network UK that we should be doing something, not only because um, we should be pioneering in this space because it coincides with the 10 guiding principles and the sustainable development goals, but also because as an organization, as every organization should be doing something. Um, every organization should be moving away from lip service to actual action. And there's one story that I tell people all the time. It, when I realized that plasters are white skin color um, and my whole life I've accepted to wear a white skin color plaster. When I was a child, when I'm an adult, I've hurt myself. Uh, I've I've cut my I've cut open my hand or wherever else on my body and I put a plaster on it and I've just accepted that I will wear a white skin color plaster and when I when that dawned on me that a whole industry did not accommodate to a whole population of people worldwide mm. that just really was rubbing salt in the wound the realization of that just angered me so much you know every conversation that I would engage in I'd either cry or I'd either get really really angry and it will be obvious and it's just for me it's just acknowledging how from that upset and anger and that felt sense of injustice has enabled you to uh kind of like notice how you were feeling notice that there's lots of other things that are going on that it's just not helping and your completely focused, action-orientated self going, someone's got to pick this up. There was definitely a gap, right? Like, no one is actually providing anything that's really tangible for business mm -hmm. that enables them to go from acknowledging there's an issue within their organisation and then thinking about what it is they can do. So yeah. I think just to kind of, uh, not, not necessarily to big you up, but absolutely to big <laughs> you up for people listening in, Cynthia went from uh, the upset and the frustration and the angst into going into her own organisation and having conversations with her colleagues around this isn't good enough to then establishing a six-part webinar series 
uh, which really is uh, about helping businesses take action. I mean, absolutely phenomenal success with that program. And of course, that's not the only... And then what's your, what would you like as an outcome for that? Because it is action-focused, but kind of thinking through, like, what would you want to see? I don't know. This is I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I just thought that the more people we got, the more people we reached. And it was just important that we reached a lot of people because the more people who can listen in, it means that you're able to share it with somebody else or share the learnings of somebody else. But what has been really great has been the feedback that we've gotten from people. I've gotten loads of different emails from people saying, oh, that was great. We got um, an email from a recruitment manager and he was like, thank you so much for yesterday. This is the third one I've joined in and what I've learned, I'm going to definitely take part and look into our recruitment processes. And just that, you know, Cynthia V. Davis, who was the person who spoke to everyone from BAME mm. Recruitment, what she did was she took everyone on a journey. She took everyone on a journey in terms of looking at what the issue is, where are we now and what needs to happen. And I think that really helped just not only me, but the audience in itself. Um, look, it's good when you understand properly what the issue is, going into understanding what it is that you need to do. And so if we can just, if I can get more feedback like that, that would be great. If people can share what has been learned, that would be great. If we, the recordings can go around, if if just businesses are able to really just kind of take some of the advice that has been given from what has been shared on these events and really put them into action, what else can I ask for, really? But I, I want to be, I think I'm really doing this for myself. If that, if that sounds selfish, then okay. I'm doing <laughs> this for everyone who I'm friends with or people who are my family, part of the Black community. Because when I want to go out there, look for a job or start my social enterprise, I don't want things stacked against me anymore. I want equity. I want to be able to be on the same playing field as everybody else at the same start line. And I'm hoping... I really am. I'm really, really hoping that I'm going to be going into a world when I'm ready, when I'm ready to move on, when I'm ready to do more and continue on this journey of the things that I've known I've always wanted to do, that things are significantly easier, intentionally significantly easier mm. because we've moved into a space of people trying to actually make Black Lives Matter. I just, I'm just still reflecting on how much you you actually do on a daily basis and how much you're driven. And and I'm so excited for your your future journey. Uh, and and been watching you grow over the last eighteen months has been amazing. Watching you step into doing such incredible work. What's next for you, Cynthia? Um, so I'm really, 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 really passionate about children who are in the worst forms of child labor and children who are being sex trafficked. There are children who are in these industries who don't think that they are loved, who don't have anyone to look after them, care for them, who need to be rescued from brothels, who need to be rescued from the hands of people who are exploiting them. And I'm so passionate about this. I've and that I know that I want to do something in this field. I want to do something, whether whether that's something about actual heists, actual rescue operations, or whether that's something about pouring love onto these kids who otherwise have start that had have had a very bad beginning in their lives. Something around that, and I know that it's a really big issue within Southeast Asia, within um, some of the Asian countries. Even though you know, obviously, sex trafficking happens 
globally yeah, i just sure. i definitely have um a passion for a specific region and i think i it's taken me a long time to understand that i can't change the whole world in one moment because i really i really definitely wanted to and thought i could try but um but and what's important is having a niche what's important is really realizing what it is like an area that i can try and impact or try and help and an air and a you know geographical area that i can kind of work in mm. i don't know what that looks like how i'm gonna get there um at all i just know that i'm passionate about it i'm passionate about the injustices that these these children face and i definitely want to do something about it how ask me that when i'm actually there i don't i am pretty sure that 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 something like that will happen because you are so um open to those opportunities and so you've got so much to offer uh as well and it's really brave work to do because it's it's heartbreaking it's it's really tough work um but someone with your spirit i think could do so well in that thank you Uh, it'd be amazing i just wanted to say you know again and it is about leadership and i think and i know at impact we talk a lot about acts of leadership and about an act of leadership is about noticing and deciding what to do and then actually taking the action and doing it um, and there's a big part of the kind of notice, decide and act model, which is about courage. And you have that in absolute abundance. Um, you do. You just you have that felt sense. You see what happens. And what most people do is feel it, see what needs to happen. And then for whatever reason, o- often it's around fear, fear of failure, fear of doing the wrong thing. fear. And I'm not saying that you didn't experience that. And as you said before, is what can I do? It's so big. But actually that realisation that you can do something, you have a sphere of influence. And from you sitting on that emotion, that frustration to acting has enabled hundreds of people to take action. And that for me is an incredible act of leadership and shows amazing courage to, to step into the unknown. And you talked earlier about, I really hate the unknown. The unknown doesn't hate you. Mm. The unknown needs you because you step into, and maybe that's why you're afraid of the unknown, mm. is because maybe you're pre, in those unknown situations, you're propelled to step in and, and take that leadership action. And that's quite a vulnerable place to be, yeah. but you're bloody good at being vulnerable. You've actually stepped up and done some incredible things by putting yourself in that really uncomfortable space and doing amazing things. So I so look forward to seeing your future uh, and being part of it and um, and watching you continue to make the world a better place. Thank you. Because I think you absolutely will. Thank you so much. Jane. Thank you. That, I'm going to go journal about that. <laughs> Literally everything you've just said, I'm gonna go journal about and that. <laughs> go journal it. Seep. Yeah. Seep in. Thank you. A massive thank you to both Joe and Cynthia there for taking the time out of their busy schedules to record their conversation for us. I'm sure you'll agree, Cynthia is a truly inspiring human who has done and is set out to do amazing work. She's not afraid to challenge injustices in the world around her, and by doing so is implementing change that's very much needed. We hope you enjoyed listening to In Good Company today. You can find out more about Impact by visiting our website at impactinternational.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. We've got a YouTube channel with great video content for you to watch and loads of amazing articles on our blog. So until the next time, thank you for listening. Take care.
Give me 